All right. How's everybody doing? Good. Good to be with you guys. Good to be back with you again. Uh, man, I just feel like we've already just this morning just drank deeply from uh, just what, what God wants for us in worship. And uh, so thank you. I said this first hour, but thank you guys so much for leading us so well as a team. Can we just say thank you uh, to our worship team and just for the way they, they served this week? And then... Um, Last week as well, I got to pop in here and see you guys uh, and, and visit. I got to ch- visit all four churches in the Zero Collective. And if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's Brian. I, I serve as the lead pastor of this, uh, this network of churches, this family of four churches called the Zero Collective. And uh, we are going after the person of Jesus until there are zero lives living unchanged for Jesus in the greater Grand Rapids area. And Center is a part of that. Center is a part of that movement. And so uh, the reason I'm here today with you and and not uh, John, your pastor, is because on Friday night at 8.53 p.m., John and Lindsay uh, welcomed uh, Eden here. This is Eden Louise. Uh, Gorvette, and so I think Edie Lou, I think is the, the nickname. I've fished, don't quote me on that. Um, but uh, this is her, and so mom and baby are both doing really well, and so I'm excited. I'm sure they're going to update you and, and tell you more information. You'll have the chance to meet them probably not next week. I don't know. It's been a while since I had little kids. I don't know what the protocol is for how long you have to wait before you show up again. But uh, but everybody's doing well. Last night when I uh, was texting back and forth with John, uh, he was literally uh, holding her and watching the Celtics play. And so uh, that's really a shame that he's starting her off on the wrong foot like that. But uh, hopefully we can get get him rooting for a good team, you know, at some point in the future. Uh, but anyway, uh, so I get to be here with you guys as we start this brand new series uh, called Lord Teach Us How to Pray. And we, we are talking about prayer. We're, t- we're talking about uh, really the Lord's Prayer, which I don't know why we call it the Lord's Prayer. We should call it the Disciples' Prayer because really it was the, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. So as disciples of Jesus, that's, this is the prayer that we're supposed to be praying. And so every week we're just going to take another piece of it and really uh, build out and talk about um, different ways that we can engage this and pray as a community. And so go ahead, if you will, to that uh, first picture. This is D.L. Moody. Some of you may have heard his name. D.L. Moody is considered by many people to be the leading evangelist from the 1800s. In other words, more people uh, came to Christ through D.L. Moody's life and his ministry than any other single human being in the 1800s. Just incredible the impact he had. He spent many of his years in Chicago. He was a shoe salesman by by trade, and he had barely any education, maybe like a few years of of education. Um, And and yet God used him profoundly uh, that many, many, many people came to Christ through his life. D.L. Moody famously had this list that he carried around with him everywhere. It's a list of 100 names. Uh, These were 100 names of people that he was praying for all the time that they would come to know Christ. And whenever one of these people came to know Christ, he would check their name off this list. And so when D.L. Moody died, they found the list. He literally had it on him. And 96 of those 100 names had been checked off uh, the list by the time of his death, which is just absolutely incredible. But what makes the story even more incredible is that uh, at the funeral of D.L. Moody, they preached the gospel and those remaining four names all gave their lives to Christ at D.L. Moody's funeral. How in the world does that happen? How in the world does a shoe salesman from Chicago who barely has any education at all become the leading evangelist for an entire generation to come to know Christ? The answer is prayer. There was, there was nothing fancy about the guy, but he, he was a man of prayer. Uh, and oftentimes I think when we come to prayer, we often kind of wonder like, do my prayers even matter? 
Do, do my prayers even work? Or, or do, do my prayers actually change anything about the reality of this world, about the reality of my day-to-day life? Or is, you know, prayer, is, is that just kind of a nice thing that we say like, oh, I'm praying for you. I'll be praying for you. Is that just like the polite thing to say? Or do we really believe that when we pray, our prayers have the potential to change the reality that we live in, that other people live in? And so uh, what we're going to explore today is this piece of, of the Lord's Prayer. It's interesting because the disciples believed in prayer, clearly, because the disciples could have asked Jesus to teach them anything, right? I mean, they're three years with Jesus. They could have said, Jesus, teach us how to preach. I mean, he was pretty good at that. They, they could have said, Jesus, uh, teach us how to tell stories. Jesus, teach us how to do miracles. Teach us how to heal people. You know, the loaves and the fish, that was a pretty cool one. Teach us how to do that. They don't ask him to teach them any of that. The disciples, the only thing they asked Jesus is, will you teach us to pray? Because they understood prayer was what everything else flowed from. Prayer was the foundation. It it was what every single other piece uh, of Jesus' ministry and life flowed from. And so um, today we're going to look at uh, Matthew 6.10. You just saw the Lord's Prayer on that video we just looked at. But the specific verse, uh, the specific part of it that we're looking at today is where Jesus teaches his disciples. He, He says to pray, your kingdom come, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think about those words for a minute. Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth, the same as it is in heaven. Uh, Literally, one of the kinds of prayers we're called to pray is for God's purposes to come and his will to be done here on earth in people's lives. Just like D.L. Moody with those 100 prayer names that we would pray that God would make himself real in the lives of our friends, our family, uh, our, our co-workers, our schools, that his kingdom would come and his will would be done here on earth, the same as it is in heaven. This kind of prayer is called contending prayer. So with this, uh, we're going to look at each one of these different prayers. Today, what we're talking about is contending prayer. That's what D.L. Moody was doing with those 100 names on that list. We're contending in prayer for God to reveal himself, for other people uh, to recognize the revelation of God in their lives. That's what, that's what we're praying for. And so today we're going to look at an example of someone who did that in Scripture. So we're actually going to go back all the way to the Old Testament. We're going to look at the character of Elijah. Elijah is a great example of, of contending prayer. Elijah uh, was a prophet that contended in prayer for the nation of Israel, for the people of Israel. And so this is what the writer James in the New Testament says about Elijah. This is actually one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture um, this is what it says. James 5, 17, 18 says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. I'm going to read that part again. Elijah was a human being, just a person, just like we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now, while what I love so much about that is literally the writer just says Elijah was just a normal guy. He was just a person. There's nothing supernatural about him. There's nothing superhuman about him. Uh, just like D.L. Moody, he was just a normal person. And, and so what was so effective about Elijah was not some amazing ability he had. It wasn't some superhuman power. It was that he prayed. There was something powerful about Elijah and the way he prayed similar to D.L. Moody. And and so what that means is that you and I can do the same. That when we pray, when we become people of prayer, contending in prayer for others in our lives, God can move powerfully through our prayers. 
The most powerful things about all our lives can be our prayers. And so uh, to kind of walk back, you know, a little bit through the, through the background of Elijah, Elijah lived about 900 years before the birth of Jesus. And it was, he lived during a time in Israel's history where Israel was completely running the other direction from God. So uh, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel were the king and queen of Israel, and they were purposely and intentionally leading God's people, his chosen people, the nation of Israel, uh, away from God, to turn away from him and to worship this uh, pagan god called Baal. Baal was part of this fertility cult uh, of this ancient world, this ancient pagan world. And, you know, honestly, it was, it's pretty disgusting if you go look at like the kind of practices and the kind of things that they were uh, involved in. And the king is leading them into this. And so to make things worse, there is now a huge crippling drought that's took hold of the nation of Israel. And the reason that the drought has happened actually is because of God. So this is a God-induced drought. What happens is Elijah is the prophet of Yahweh. He's the prophet of the one true God. And he's contending in prayer. And he literally says, God, will you turn off the water? He prays that God would stop the rain in order to get their attention. And so God literally has turned off the water in Israel. And that's exactly where we find ourselves in this story. Do you wonder, does God ever turn off the water in our lives to get our attention? Do you think that happens still? Uh, I have a good friend of mine, um, he, he talked about how he would pray for his kids. This, is, this guy is just a, a spiritual mentor for me. I just respect him so much. You know how most of us, like the way we pray for our kids is, God, will you protect my, our kids? Will you keep them safe? Will you watch over them? That's how we pray for our kids. He literally, his prayer for his, his kids was, God, just do whatever you have to do. Wreck them if you have to. Just get their attention. That's a prayer. That's a prayer for our kids. Just do whatever you have to do that their hearts would be yours. That's literally what happens. Elijah just says, God, turn off the water, stop the rain, and it cripples the nation so that God can get their attention. So right in the midst of this, Elijah issues a challenge. In the midst, three and a half years into this drought, and so here's what he says. He says to King Ahab and to the people of Israel, he says, okay, there's one prophet of God, there's 450 prophets of Baal, so let's do this. Let's have a contest. We're going to put up two altars, And so we're going to put a bull on each altar that's going to be burned for a sacrifice. One altar and one bull is for God, Yahweh. The other one is for the prophet or for the the God Baal, this uh, fertility cult God that they were worshiping. Um, So this was common in ancient times and pagan uh, culture. This kind of a sacrifice would have been a common thing in the ancient world. And so uh, here's what Elijah says. Make these two altars, put the bull on there. But here's the deal. Don't light the fire for the sacrifice. Instead pray. Pray. I'll pray to God and you pray to Baal. And the God who answers with fire and comes down and consumes a sacrifice, we're all going to agree that's the one true God. Any God who can answer with fire and, and do that is the one true God. I mean, this is an incredibly bold move. And so that's what they do. And so we'll pick up the story. This is 1 Kings 18 verse 36 says this, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. It's an incredible example of contending prayer right there. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, 
The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So in this dramatic moment, the fire of God falls and the people of God are, are reignited again. Their hearts are turned back to God. And uh, it was all through this contending prayer of Elijah that made it happen. It wasn't because of something he did. It was because of how and what he prayed. And what's amazing to me about the story is God didn't answer the prayer and made the fire fall so that Elijah would look good, so that he'd become like a celebrity pastor or something. That's not why God did it. The reason God answered the prayer, he clearly says in there, is so that he could get the hearts of the people again. He wants the hearts of his people back again. That's why God answers. That's why he does that. And so when Elijah prays, just like James 5.17 says, you know, uh, there, there's this incredible move of God because of that. But here's the problem. It's, they're still in a drought, right? It's great. Okay, people are like, the Lord, he is the one true God, but they're still in the midst of a drought. There's still no water. Everybody's still, you know, starving and in despair. So let's look at the next uh, chunk here in verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, that's the king, Ahab, go eat and drink for there is the sound of heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink But Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. So in this moment, Elijah sends the king off to prepare for rain. And then what does he do? He climbs to the peak. He hikes to the peak uh, and overlooks the city that God loves, the whole nation that God loves. And he begins to bow and he begins to pray in fervent contending prayer for the people. And when he prays, just like James 5.17 says, the storms come, the rain comes, just like it was pouring rain earlier this morning before the nine o'clock service. The rains fall and the people of God, the nation is saved and rescued. That's a pretty powerful response to prayer. So, you know, as we think about us, as we turn this toward us here, you know, at Center Church in Byron Center, here, here's the main idea. Here's the main takeaway I want you to get from this this morning. If you want to write something down, this would be it. Uh, God doesn't dream of the church on fire. He dreams of Byron Center reborn. God, God doesn't dream of the church just on fire. God dreams of Byron Center, the larger community reborn. Okay, God doesn't just dream about a church with great programs, even though we've got a great kids ministry here. He doesn't, he doesn't dream of a, of a church with inspiring worship, although we have that great messages, all that kind of stuff. All those things are great. What God dreams of is wayward kids in Byron Center coming back to Christ. God dreams of businessmen and women hearing the gospel and, and their hearts being changed, even at their workplaces. God dreams of you. If you're newer to center, if you've been invited here, he dreams of your life being transformed, your life being renewed and being drawn back to the heart of your father to be reconciled with him. He dreams of marriages being restored in Byron Center and Christ becoming the center of those marriages. That's what God cares about. God will light the church on fire, but it's so that he can get Byron Center. And Jesus teaches his disciples to pray like that. He says, that's how you should pray. God doesn't promise to answer every prayer we pray. In fact, some of the prayers I've prayed, God should have said no to. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had those prayers? But, but these are prayers God actually says. He invites us to pray. These are prayers God wants to answer. When we contend in prayer, 
Would your kingdom come, would your will be done, Lord, in the lives of my friends, my relatives, my coworkers, the fellow students at school? God wants to answer those prayers. In fact, so much, so much so that Jesus doesn't just tell us to pray like this. He actually gives us a picture of what's happening in heaven as a result of these kind of prayers. So, so many of you know, in Luke 15, Jesus tells this short series of three parables. And the first one starts out, he says, there's a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one of those sheep wanders off. And so the shepherd who, who represents God in the story leaves the 99 sheep and goes in search of that one lost sheep. And in fact, that parable, believe it or not, is actually uh, where we got the whole idea. It's, it's what inspired the idea of zero, um, this, this thing that we're all a part of together, this idea of we're not done until there are zero lives unchanged by Jesus. Because the shepherd leaves and goes in search of the one sheep, not so that he can get back to 100 or you know, on, a, on the drive to get 200 or whatever. The shepherd leaves the 99 and goes in search of the one sheep because what matters to the heart of God is that there would be zero people lost, zero sheep lost. If there had been 12 sheep, that's how many sheep he would have gone after. The heart of God is to reconcile and redeem it all. And, and I love, Jesus tells us at the end of Luke 15, Luke 15, 7, he says, here's why, here's the whole point of that story about the shepherd of the sheep. Here's why I tell you that. He says, the shepherd returns with the one sheep and there is, he is, there is great rejoicing over that one sheep. And then Jesus says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. There, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents in Byron Center than over the 99 who are already in church, who are already connected to God, who are already uh, you know, following Christ. We had um, well over 100 people give their lives to Christ in Zero Collective uh, this past week at Easter services. We had 10 services across four churches of the Zero Collective. And I, I just believe heaven is rejoicing right now over people. That's how much lost people matter to God. That's how much he cares. And so contending prayer uh, is, is basically meant to align us with heaven. That's what contending prayer does. When we contend in prayer for our friends, for our relatives to come to know Christ, we're aligning our hearts with the celebration that's already taking place in heaven. We're, we're basically lining ourselves up and saying, God, we want to be part of that. And what's amazing is God invites us to contend in prayer and he answers our prayer. He uses us to reach the larger community. God doesn't just dream of the church on fire. He dreams of Byron Center being reborn. Um, I, I had an experience where, where this kind of praying, this kind of prayer became really real in my life. And it wasn't until I, I was well into my ministry years as a pastor, I'm sad to say. I didn't get this until I was, you know, probably uh, around 30 years old or so. And really what it happened was uh, Frontline Church, which is a church that I've pastored for years and years and years before this whole transition, uh, moving into the Zero Collective role. Uh, there was a period of time where we actually, as a, as a smaller church, we bought a giant Meyer building um, in, in uh, the north side of Grand Rapids, like you do. And um, so we bought this giant Meyer building, 100,000 square feet. It was way too big for us. It was like putting an extra, extra, extra large t-shirt on a toddler. I mean, it was ridiculous. And uh, the summer of 2006 was when we were kind of making the transition and moving from the old building into this giant new Meyer office building. And uh, I was in charge of the transition and all the teams and everything that was going on. And let's just say it was not going well. 
Uh, we were behind on all the construction. We had borrowed an enormous amount of money, and we were uh, severely in debt as a church. That was 2006, where, before 2008, where you could still borrow huge amounts of money. And uh, we, uh, the giving was slumping. And every week I was hearing about more and more families who were part of the church who were saying things like, you know, when we move into this new building, I, I don't think we're going to make the move with you guys. We moved from the west side of town to the east side of town. I learned about, like in Grand Rapids, it's a thing where like, if you move from the west side to the east side of town, people don't go. They don't drive 10 minutes more to the other side of town. That's a Grand Rapids thing. I don't get it, but that is, that's, that's what it is. And so I literally, every week I'm just hearing from another person like, yeah, we're not even going to move with you. We're not going to be part of the church. Giving's going down. I was so discouraged. Not just discouraged, I was, I was terrified. Every day I was praying about the money. I was praying about the building and I was praying about the construction. I was praying like, God, please don't let anybody else leave the church right now as we're trying to make this huge move. And so I remember I had this one day, it's right in the middle of summer, right in the middle of the day, the heat of summer, I had a meeting um, with one of the contractors in the building, in, in the, this old Meyer building that, that's become our building. And so I drive to the building, I get out of my car, and I walk up to the door, and I realize the doors are locked, and I check, and I have left my keys back in my house. This is a regular thing for me, by the way. Not only that, I don't even have my cell phone on me. I can't even call it. So the meeting I'm supposed to be in is in the building. I can't get in the building. I can't even let anybody know I'm there. And I remember it was just such a, it was one of those moments where everything just sort of culminates. Like I was under so much stress. Things were just so not good. And I'm literally now I've locked myself out of the building. So I have this memory of just kind of like turning against the wall. I'm like under the awning right by the front entrance of the church and just sort of like slumping down the brick wall till I was just like on the ground just sitting there. And I just began to complain, really, to God. If you could have been a fly on the wall listening to my, my prayers, uh, it was a little more, there was no faith to it. It was me just literally like, God, are you kidding me? Did you just give us this building so we could just fail at it? Did you lead me to be a part of this just so I can fail? I wanted to quit. I just wanted to be done right there in that moment. And you know how like so, every once in a while when you're at like the lowest point, God will give you exactly what you need? He'll bring something into your life or he'll give you a message. It's just right what you need. He doesn't always do that, but this was one of those moments where he did that. So I'm literally just slumped down uh, on, you know, against the brick uh, right there under this awning. And it's, as I'm like praying, these two kids come riding by the, through the parking lot on their bikes. These two boys, two young boys riding through on their bikes and I don't think they could even see me. I was kind of under the, you know, in the shadows under that and this bright sun. And um, I could hear every word they were saying, but I don't think they even knew I was there. They drive by on their bikes, ride by, and I hear the first uh, boy say to the second one, he says, hey, what are they doing with this building? Like, what are they putting in this building? They'd seen the construction. What's going in in this building? And the second boy says, I heard they're putting a church in there. And no joke, as they're riding out of earshot, out of the parking lot, I hear the first boy say, a church? Are you kidding me? Man, if they put a church in there, even I would come here. And it was just like one of those moments where when I heard him say that, it's, it's like God just immediately began to speak to me. And what I heard him say was, Brian, don't worry about the money. Don't worry about the building. Fish for people. Destinies beat dollars. People beat profits. I, I, I'm working because I want the city. And so here's what happened. My prayers changed that day. 
Truth, truthfully, no joke. My prayers changed that day. From that day on, I did not pray once about the building anymore. I didn't pray about the money anymore. I didn't pray, God, please keep people from leaving the church anymore. I didn't pray any of those prayers. Literally every day I began to just pray for those two boys on those bikes. Every day I, just, I would just say, God, would you please bring them to our church? Would you, I prayed for their families. God, would you get a hold of their families? I prayed for their friends at school. Would you somehow get a hold of their friends at school? Every, every day I just began to become my prayer, these two boys, and contending in prayer every single day for them. And here's the truth. All these years later, I have no idea if those two boys ever came to our church or not. I don't know. But here's what I do know. We moved into the building. We paid for it. God brought the money. And there's been years and years and years of ministry and hundreds and hundreds of people have come to Christ and have gotten baptized since. That's what God wants to do. Not through any, some amazing talent that we have. Elijah was a human being just as we are, just like D.L. Moody was. There's nothing special about us as people but there's something special about what God invites us to do in contending in prayer for people he wants to partner with us to reach by our center. And it doesn't start with us going and doing something. It starts with prayer. It starts with us aligning our hearts. There is more rejoicing in heaven over even just one sinner who repents. If we make that our focus, if we commit ourselves to that and begin to pray for that, God will take care of the rest. Why? Because he wants it more than we do. That's why. He wants your friends. He wants your family members. He wants your coworkers even more than you do to come to know him and to be restored to their father. There's only one way to the father and that's through the person of Jesus Christ. But the way to Jesus Christ, there's a million different ways that happens. It's through the way we as human beings pray and seek him. So the question I want to end with here is very, very simply, who are you contending in prayer for? Who are you contending in prayer for? Um, There's a lady here at first service uh, who told, it was crazy. She, she literally said at the end of the service, the person I prayed for for 10 years was sitting right across. In other words, there's a person who started coming to this church because she prayed all these years. Who are you contending in prayer for? I mean, who, where's your list of 100 names? Okay, maybe that's too many. I don't have a list of 100 names, Okay. But uh, for that season of my life, I had these two boys. I've got, I've got a couple people right now. Maybe can you start with one, one name? Maybe there's just one person you'd say, God, I'm just going to begin to pray for that person. God, that your kingdom would come, your will would be done in their life, that you would get a hold of their lives, that you would reveal yourself to them. God, do whatever you got to do. Turn the water off in their life. Wreck their life if you have to. Just get a hold of their hearts. Get a hold of them. And if you don't have one person you can pray for, well, that's your prayer. God, show me who that one person is. Ten years ago, we, we did this thing uh, at Frontline called One Life. We, 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 had the, we had like bumper stickers and stickers and, and like all this kind of stuff, paraphernalia we made, handed it out. We said, who's your one life? We asked everybody, who's your one life? Begin praying for them, that one person who's close to you but far from God. Uh, you know, invite them to church, invest in their lives, serve them. And, and so it was this thing. Everybody talked about this one life. It was ten years ago. I got a text from a, from a lady who attends Frontline on Saturday, right before Easter. This is 10 years later. Just, just this past Saturday, she texts me. This is literally what her text says. She's a longtime Frontliner. She says this, I just wanted to share my one life story with you. My son-in-law, who I've been praying for, is coming on Easter Sunday. 
This is 10 years ago, and she's still talking about this. I've been, I've been praying for this person. I just wanted to share my one life, my son-in-law, who I've been praying for is coming Easter Sunday. She says this, this man said he would never step into a church. I am over the moon excited to see God work. And he did come on Easter Sunday. And I, have, I haven't talked with her to know what exactly happened, but I, I know God's at work in that situation. I'm over the moon excited. Do you hear? That's how God wants us. There is more celebration in heaven over one sinner who repents. We're supposed to be part of that celebration. You celebrate differently when it's your son-in-law, when it's your daughter, when it's your best friend who comes out of the waters of baptism. You celebrate differently when it's your friend who comes to church for the first time. When, you, when you're involved personally, you celebrate with heaven differently. That's what God wants us to be a part of. So in a moment here, we're going to go to prayer, but I just want to tell you, we've got, we made these door hangers. John made them. They just kind of follow along with each prayer for this series. And um, we're going to be utilizing those. And so uh, we've had 25 of them made for each service. So if you want one, you got to ask for it. It's not just like we put it out here. Um, so when you're walking out the door, uh, the, our, the team, as, they're, as you're leaving, you can say, hey, I'd love one of those door hangers. They'll give you one. Um, but they're just meant to be kind of a prayer guide for you over this next uh, few weeks as we walk through this series. But I hope you'll take one and just use it as a reminder uh, to pray this week, to contend in prayer for that one name, for that one person. So would you bow in prayer with me? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a minute while, while Peter just pray, plays. Um, you pray. Lift up the name of that person right now to God. Begin to just contend in prayer for them. So God, we're very aware, even in this moment, that there is an all-out search right now happening. The shepherd has left the 99, is looking for the one, even right now. So even these people, these names that we bring before you right now, God, it's not like we're, uh, you know, it's not like we're being called to do something supernatural or in our own power. Uh, we're just joining you on the search effort that's already underway. So God, we just ask, uh, do whatever you have to do, God. Move in whatever way you have to move. Reveal yourself. Uh, we ask that you would light the church on fire so that Byron Center can be reborn. God, we just pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done here in Byron Center as it is in heaven. We just long to see uh, people reconciled to you, people reunited to, to their heavenly father. Uh, God, would you just, to that end, just give us a passion uh, show us where the open doors are. Um, allow us to speak and to uh, just call out the names of, of people who are close to us but far from you until we see them all reconciled and ransomed to you, Jesus. That's what we want to be a part of. That's what we ask would happen powerfully. And we just know that can only happen through you when your people pray. And so to that end, God, we say yes, and we step into that, and we commit to doing that. It's in your powerful and risen and resurrected name we pray. And everybody said, amen.